This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of I Want to Matter. Your life is too short and too precious to waste. Written and narrated by New York Times bestseller Kathy Lee Gifford. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks. Dynamic voices for a diverse church. This is Pass the Mic. Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pastor Mike, Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church, powered by The Witness, a Black Christian Collective. I'm your host, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter at Burns23. Follow at your own risk. And joining me as always is the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Blue Check Verify himself, Jamar Tisby. What's going on, brother? Hey, man. I, you know, I had to apologize to you. We're recording a little bit late. And I'm not going to lie, man. That dad life got me. I uh I put Dad life got Jamar. Jamar's washed officially. <laughs> I put the kid to bed, man, and I fell asleep right next to him. So Jamar's washed. Okay, <laughs> hashtag Jamar washed 2018. It's the way it is. No shame, no shame. That's the real talk. And you know, it's it's kind of fitting because we've had a, a super busy week. We've been doing a lot of stuff, man, outside of the regular stuff. And and we actually want to start, you know, incorporating this segment where we talk about where we've been on the mic recently. So where we've been, that could be um, a place where we've spoken, or that could be a podcast, which is what we're going to talk about today, some place where we've written. So Jamar, where have you been on the mic recently? There's got to be, okay, There's look, there's got to be some boasting in the Lord, right? Like there's got to be some sort of place for like, nope, humble brag, please, come on. Nope. I nope. was, I was, I was just on cloud nine though, because I got to talk to my new friend, Anna Marie Cox on her very excellent podcast with friends like these. So I was just on the latest episode and man, it was amazing. She's a great host. We talked about race. We talked about religion. We talked about politics, all of the easy topics. It was a great conversation. <laughs> I didn't actually tell you, but I listened to it today. It was awesome. Okay. Okay. I, really I appreciate it. that. You're a connoisseur of podcasts. So that means a lot to me, but yeah, she was amazing. Yeah, and it was a great conversation. It was, it was a whole lot of fun. So that's where I've been recently. Um, I, I've also been on, uh, Faith Radio with Bill Arnold did a little piece there, and then uh, uh, gonna be on some other podcasts as as a no 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 that's it that's I'm it. just that's let you, it. I'm just that's getting it. if you had to so when you see it out nah, there, see I only knew about it. one and now you nah that's not fair see I only knew about one podcast and then now all of a sudden you, where you been talking okay so I just got to shout out my homie he's a Pastor Mike listener Pastor Derek Murphy and the podcast is called Church Folks. And so they're debuting season two, and it should be coming out this week um, or topping next week. You'll hear my voice on there. You know, I was talking a little spicy, you know, <laughs> I, had some, I had some high energy, just a little spicy talk. But especially for those of you who are kind of from the black church tradition and you kind of know about that and you're you're kind of, you know, in the modern black church tradition. So anything related to Kojic, full gospel, non-denominational, okay. Pentecostal okay. charismatic stream. You'll really like this podcast. We get into the nitty gritty kind of from our world, our perspective, and then incorporate it with, you know, commentary on evangelicalism, the black church in general, et cetera. So it's it's real dope. And uh, check out the brother, Pastor Derek Murphy on Church Folks. And I love that name. Yeah, I was going like to say, I really folks. like that name. That's for real. 
Now, so where are we going to be taking the mic in the future, Jamar? Because this is very important for people to understand. Make the announcement. Tell the people. Link in the bio. Let's get it. All right. So a lot of people are like, pass the mic live tour. Awesome. Where's the first stop? Pensacola, Florida? Question mark. Hold up, man. Nah. <laughs> see, that's not what we're not. Look, what we're not going to do. Okay. I didn't say nothing. nothing I do. just said, you know, nah, people are curious about the location. Said it without saying. Look, you said it without saying but it. Okay. There's a good reason because we're not just uh, we're not only doing a live podcast. We are actually doing a viewing on opening weekend of the new Black Panther movie. Yeah, yeah. Let's That's get it. That's right, y'all. Come we on. got we got reserved tickets. Uh First come, first, first serve, come, for first real. serve, very limited quantity. Come on out, watch it with uh, your fellow Pass the Mic listeners. And then afterwards, we're going to have a discussion and record a live podcast. I can't wait. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be epic. Yeah, man. Y'all got to get your tickets. Click the Eventbrite link. Um, not just on the witness, you'll find it, you know, posted on all of our social media, but also within the podcast description as well. So get on that, bring your family, bring your cousin, bring your nephew and them, but you got to act quickly on the tickets because we didn't get that many tickets for everybody. So it's not all our pastor mic listeners, but first come first serve for that. So we're really excited. And I'm going to show y'all a good time in Pensacola. I promise. Okay. You man, come to my city, to I'll show y'all Hold you to time. that. I'm looking forward all to right, it. All right, man. Look, I, I promise, man. I promise. So let's transition. Jamar, earlier this week, you were embroiled in a little bit of Twitter brouhaha, you know, as you so typically get into because you're such a troublemaker, Jamar. Of course. You're so divisive. You're so liberal. Uh, and so you were out here talking spicy to Rod Rare. Actually, you really weren't. You know, we're going to talk about this because the title of this episode is Can I Clap Back Just One Time? And actually, you know, Jamar was the voice of reason. You know, normally when Jamar gets into these back and forths, my Twitter fingers get active, okay? So my Twitter fingers activate and my sanctification, it starts to be a real, you know, heavy tug of war between my flesh and my spirit. And my, my fingers want to just let off just a few tweets. And Jamar was like, nah, bro, chill, chill. So I wanted to say a little something to Brother Rod, but but Jamar wouldn't let me. So Jamar was a voice of reason. <laughs> and so when it came to clapping back one time, Jamar wouldn't let me. Jamar was like, man... Uh, you know, chill out, chill out. Don't say nothing. Why? Why couldn't I clap back just one time, Jamar? Look, you know, when they go low, we go high. It hasn't been that long. You remember, oh. brother? Oh, we should say, you know, the remix is when they go whole, we go high, right? Uh-huh. Because Jamar wrote this fire article in response, not just to Rod Dreher, but also to President Trump um, for the comments as it relates to the S-hole, you know, in describing the country of Haiti and then a number of African countries um, and then countries in Central America as well. So what 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 provoked disgust and anguish and grief and sorrow in us, Jamar responded by going very high and talking about Section 8. Jamar, can you, can you tell people a little bit just the, the thesis of your article and, and some of the main points? Yeah, so quick recap. Uh, Rod Dreher is a Christian. He wrote the book, The Benedict Option, which garnered a lot of attention and critique. I wrote an article in review of it and sort of critiqued the absence of the black church from the book. And then um, recently he wrote a blog post where he reconsidered the president's S-hole comments. And there was a particular paragraph that caused the most stir. And I'll read just a part of it. It said, let's think about Section 8 housing. 
if word got out that the government was planning to build a housing project for the poor in your neighborhood, how would you feel about it? Be honest with yourself. Nobody would consider this good news. Do you want the people who turned their neighborhood a s-hole to bring the s-hole to your street? No, you don't. Be honest. You don't. And so I don't follow this brother on who I talking to. Who I talking you, to? You know, brother? when he says when he says no, you don't. Who are you talking to? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> Who's he talking to? Like because that was interesting. White, class, I don't know. It just whatever. But here's the thing. I, I guess the reason I, it, I I don't follow this brother. I didn't know he wrote it. The only reason it came across my attention was uh, Jamel Bowie, a, a writer for Slate magazine, a national news outlet, a secular outlet. He actually um, screenshotted that quote and then had a few thoughts that go with it. And then I read the whole article. Right. I didn't just see the quote and then and then pop off. I read the whole article thinking, well, surely Dreher must have qualified this somehow. Well, he really didn't. I mean, what he was trying to do was talk about, I think, that sort of fleshly response in all of us that kind of recoils from discomfort, from poverty and from the unknown. But he never said, hey, this is a sinful response. And as Christians, we should respond to the poor this way. And so I went on a little Mm. Twitter rant, you know, maybe four tweet thread or something. It was light. It was light work. It was light you work. You just hit a couple. Man, of it was basic stuff. And then he wrote. He writes a whole blog post about me. Uh, he includes Jonathan Merritt. He calls us some of the most dishonest liberals on social media, or something like that. And so then I wrote back. That's all. Yeah, yeah, you did. And and actually, where can people find that article? Because you need to tell them the title of of the article. And, and where they can find it, because you need to plug this website, because it's amazing. <laughs> yes, you can find it on thewitnessbcc.com. That's thewitnessbcc.com, our website. And the title is Of S-Holes and Section 8, A Response to Rod Dreher. And I simply try to articulate a Christian response to the poor. And so uh, that garnered a lot of attention. A lot of people read both pieces. Uh, they did not appreciate the ad hominem attacks that were leveled at me and others. And so I tried not to go there and just stuck to the issues. And honestly, I mean, for real, for real, I, I live in a county that at one point was the 20th poorest county in the United States. Um, I hmm. taught in low income schools, uh, school serving children in material poverty. And so I know them as students. I know their parents. I know this community. I still live in the community. And so it was very personal to me. And I know a lot of our listeners are are thinking deeply about where they live and and their neighbors and how to serve the poor. So we just couldn't let that hang out there, man. We had to have somebody uh, who was out there saying, no, 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 we we don't all think like this. Here's, Here's a better way to view this issue. Yeah, and I'm I'm really glad you did. And we're not bringing up Roger because we want to spend uh, an inordinate amount of time talking about um, his politics or some of the impacts. You know, we can do that at a different time. Catch us at a live show and ask us a question, and we'll talk your, your ears off about that. But um, and you really addressed all the the issues that really needed to be addressed in that blog in your response, which was incredibly gracious. But but that was actually the point of of drawing this out because. One of the most impressive elements of your response to him is the way that you um, reacted to his ad hominem attacks, which can be very difficult and can be very um, angering in the moment. 
because they're so dehumanizing and because they're so otherizing. And it, it kind of fell in line with one of the comments that we received in our Patreon group. Now, for those of you who don't know, we are um, accepting patrons or Patreon subscribers to The Witness, um, particularly to Pass the Mic. And one of our patrons, Josh M., he sent in this request for us. And um, this request actually, I think, embodies a topic that we should talk about more and we should be honest about more um, just as a human reaction and then also the tension between our human tendency, our, our human impulse, and our Christian faith. So Josh, he writes this. He says, could you all do an episode giving practical ways to love people we disagree with, particularly other Christians? I've really struggled since the 2016 election to love and want to be in fellowship with Christians who voted for and continue to support Trump's administration. I really don't know how to reconcile Jesus's command to love everyone and seek unity with other believers with fighting for justice when many American Christians stubbornly hold and propagate beliefs that are harmful to people of color. I don't want to be bitter against people, especially my brothers and sisters, but I'm not sure how to do it without compromising things that shouldn't be compromised. Could y'all possibly discuss that on the show? Josh, we're so thankful, number one, that you sent this question in, but then number two, that you are a patron. So this entire episode, the rest of it is dedicated to you. That's what you can do when you're a patron. You can suggest topics that end up becoming past the mic episodes. So Jamar, I don't know about you, but I resonated with what Josh was saying. And I resonated with this reality very um, personally, because it's not just an abstract thing, but I know people personally. I know people who I've had relationship with. I know people who were friends, brothers, sisters in Christ, but support the Trump administration and had previously when they cast their ballot. So why is it so difficult for us to acknowledge the dignity of our enemies? Why do you think that's that's so hard for us? Yeah, full disclosure, this is this is a struggle for me too. Um, maintaining healthy, positive relationships with people uh, with whom we vehemently disagree on issues that are important to us, and I think that's you know the obvious and kind of simple answer is that these issues are important to us, and that when when we interact with people. Uh, who disagree that 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 makes us feel some kind of way. Now, on top of that, we're living in an extremely politically polarized environment. And I think what's happened is along the lines of issues of race and justice, a lot of somewhat hidden beliefs or unstated beliefs are now becoming explicit. So I think part of the difficulty is that we are discovering for the first time just what our friends, relatives, neighbors truly think about issues of human dignity, which which all of this boils down to, right? Like, how do you care for your neighbor um, as American citizens or, or immigrants or refugees, uh, as the case may be? And then you find out folks are not only disagreeing with you politically, but they're actually lining up behind people who, according to Christian virtues, are not admirable people, uh, whether whether that's the person sitting in the White House on down to the state level. And so you're asking yourself, how can they actually support people who have bigoted views, make bigoted statements, support policies that are clearly harmful to the to the marginalized and to the poor and to the people of color? And 
these are folks close to you and maybe you suspected, but you didn't quite know, but they retweeted something or they shared a mm. post or they made a comment. And it's not like, oh my, well, the the scales are off my eyes now and I see more clearly. So I think it's partly that sense of um, sort of uh, ideological whiplash that we got to find out that our neighbors right. uh, have these beliefs. Yeah, I think the process of forgiveness is so difficult for us because the injury and the offense is so deep. One of the things that I believe the church has underserved its congregants and its members in is we skate over the injury to get to the reconciliation. We leap over the repentance to get to the place where we all come together and friendship is restored. And it is unbiblical and it is wrong to simply skate over the offense caused. Um, this week, I was watching and following very closely the the story of Michigan State and the USA Gymnastics team um, and the abusive gymnastics doctor. I won't even mention his Thank name because I don't want to um, empower his name, um, but I will mention those who, who are survivors. Um, a, a wonderful Christian sister named Rachel uh, Den Hollander. Um, and also a number of other women who stepped forward and and gave impact statements um, from uh, Michaela Maroney, and then there's there's others who are affected as as well, Ali Raisman, and then um, young women of color, Gabby Douglas and Simone Biles, and the U.S. gymnastics team doctor at one point had the nerve, had the audacity to look at the judge and say, "This is too hard for me. It's too hard for me to hear." The, the impact statements of these these survivors. This is too difficult. He was responding emotionally. Um, to which the judge, the, the judge who was a woman, uh, basically put him in his place, had to check him and remind him of the injury and the pain that he caused. And I think it's very difficult for us as believers to encourage people to fully face sin, to fully face their transgression, to fully see the gravity of iniquity. And, you know, for those who, who think I'm saying that, you know, we're talking about a vote leading to iniquity, don't extrapolate too much from that. Just know that for a lot of people, we feel betrayed. And we feel betrayed because we felt like in, in, in the arms of brotherhood, in the arms of sisterhood, of family unity, if we raise a concern, our brothers and our sisters would take it That's seriously. Right. And so when it when it's not taken seriously, there's a level of distrust. And that distrust, that minimization, that dismissal is sinful. Regardless of what you decide on the end, the, the dismissal and the minimization is the problem. And so what I think a lot of people are realizing is that we have a deficiency and we have a deficiency in actually seeing that we have to paint sin as bad as it actually is, as evil, as wicked, as dark, and as ugly as it is for there to be true repentance and then true reconciliation. Would you agree with that, Jamar? Absolutely. There are all kinds of ways we try to rush past the offense because to dwell there would highlight our own sinfulness, right? It would highlight our own guilt Mm -hmm. and it would compound it. It It would make us feel in a small way, how we have made others feel in terms of the hurt that we caused. And no one wants to do that, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, it, it, and there, there is this, this, this rush past like, oh, okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, forget it, let's move on. Th- that doesn't work. And, and I'll, I'll just be honest, can we, can we talk for real? Let's do it, man. 
I think we pierce ourselves with many sorrows as Christians because we are unwilling to disassociate with the immoral brother or sister. And by that, by hmm. that I mean there are cases where of unrepentant sin where Paul in the New Testament says don't even don't even associate with such a one. Um whether it's sexual immorality or um, a heresy of some sort, there are points when, for the health of the body, you distance yourself from an unhealthy part of the body, right? Uh, you, you excise it from your presence. Yeah. And so I think I say that because I think there is this sort of um, spiritual self-flagellation that compels hmm. us to stay around people who are in uh, notorious and unrepentant sin. And, 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 and that can go for racism, that can go for sexual immorality, that can go for greed and avarice, whatever it might be. But what we do is hmm. in the name of grace, in the name of forgiveness, we constantly like try to yoke ourselves to these brothers and sisters when the fact is they're not acting like brothers and sisters despite repeated warnings, despite um, clear evidence that, that they need to change their behavior, they're, they're clinging to their idols. And, and we want to be like, oh, well, we don't want to give up on a brother or sister, or we want to have long suffering like Christ has with us. But there are times when people aren't even, they claim the name of Christ, but they're not bearing the fruit of repentance. And so at what hmm. point then do you say, well, you're you're choosing your own pathway, and it's not the path of Christ. And we don't have to subject ourselves to your abuse, uh, whether that's uh, spiritual or physical or emotional or verbal. And so, I just think, you know, it's 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 a case by case basis, right? Like we can't lay out a blanket policy that anybody who offends you distance yourself from them. That's not what I'm saying, but I am saying. Like part of the reason why this is such a, a an agonizing debate for so many people is that we refuse to distance ourselves from an unhealthy circumstance because we think it's quote unquote giving up on the person or quote unquote giving up on the body of Christ. And I don't think it always is. Exercise discernment, but I don't think it's always the case that you're simply giving up. I think it's I think it's wisdom and health sometimes to distance yourself. What do you think? Yeah, and it's it's it that's very interesting. So there's there's two sides to this coin. So there's the side of the coin to where I'm a pastor. And so as a pastor, I come in contact with people who are unrepentant, who display no remorse. And so I have to think about the ways in which their lack of remorse, their lack of repentance is toxic to the body of Christ, is toxic to their families. And also is toxic to those who are coming in who, who might be newer believers or might be newer to the faith. And we're not talking about people who don't claim the name of Christ, because I think that's different. So if someone's coming in and and they're attending your church and there's they're they're in process and they're kind of in what we call pre-salvation discipleship to a certain extent, where they're kind of seeing the ways in which Christians act and carry themselves, then I think for in some ways, you know. It's it's kind of a, a little bit of a different standard, even though we're we're still se- telling them the truth. We're still preaching um, in a way that doesn't doesn't um, negate the reality and the gravity of their sin, but at the same time recognizes that you know they're not claiming the name of Christ yet. Uh, but when we're talking about people who are believers and people who have been believers for 
um, a long period of time, it is something that I have to take a look at. Now, the flip side of that is, if that's the case, how do we know that a person isn't worth saving anymore? You know, there was a uh, article I was recently reading, Jamar, by a brilliant scholar named um, Elizabeth Brunig, and she writes for the Washington Post. And on her personal blog, it's it's a, an article entitled "Even the Wicked," and, and she talks about um, just the reality. And it's really kind of a, a, a difficult subject, but she talks about the reality of the Me Too, Church Two type scandals. And how a lot of people are being discarded and not from not, she's not talking about losing their job. She's not talking about losing opportunities, but she's talking about just being discarded as people. And she talks about the reality of sticking close to people um, in certain circumstances, not as a blanket rule, but sticking close to people and asking them why they did what they did to make amends. And it, it sounds like, man, you're, you're wanting people to, to stay close, and she makes it clear that the the abused don't have to to have any contact in their abuser's reform or anything like that. But that those around them who knew them and who allowed them to do this unknowingly and and in ignorance, that there should be some sort of reckoning. Um, and it was really fascinating because I'm like, man, do we discard people too quickly? Do I discard the Trump voter too quickly? And part of me says. No, because I'm not discarding them as much as calling them to an account for their vote, right? I mean, all votes have consequences, all beliefs have consequences, and those consequences can lead to real world issues for people I know and love. Um, People can be deported who I know and love based upon this. People can be denied access to this country and denied access to their families. So part of me says no, and then another part of me says, man, maybe, I don't know, (laughs) right? And and how do we how do we navigate this? And I think, you know, a big part of this is is who displays repentance and what repentance actually looks like. Can you get into that yeah, just a little yeah. bit and give any other comments That's that you huge. have? I mean, I your say. comments are, are helpful because I think they clarify my statement. I think, you know, when I say at some point we need to cut off the immoral brother or sister, I'm 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 really bearing in mind the abused the people who have been harmed, right? Right. Like, so the folks who have been most negatively impacted by a person or an institution's actions, the burden shouldn't be all on them for restoration, you know? Um, Absolutely not. And and I think what, particularly when it comes to race, we're putting it on people of color. We're putting it on black people to stick with the predominantly white congregation that's just completely inept when it comes to race. We're urging them to stick with the university or the seminary or the college that has repeatedly um, demonstrated racist practices, statements, curricula, and and has not listened to people. You mentioned betrayal earlier. Um, they have not listened to the, the racial and ethnic minorities in their midst. And I do think yeah, and I also say I will also say just to not to cut you off, but to interject that a, a prominent pastor who is facing a very public scandal, um, in which he was wrong, in which he was an abuser, did use that kind of mentality right. as an oppressive tactic against the 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 surviving young woman that he abused, um, and so there is that there is that tendency for us to use reconciliation, repentance, restoration, those types of rewords, kind of bringing back into repair relationships with brothers and sisters who claim Christ. 
um, as as a tactic and and can be used as an oppressive tool. So I definitely don't want to communicate that at all in any right. way, shape, or form. Yeah. But, so but I mean, my my burden is really to proclaim liberty to the oppressed, which is to say that the pain that you felt is real, it's valid. And despite all the, oh, we need you, or if you're not here, who's going to do it or give us another chance, you don't always have to stick there. And distancing yourself from, you know, whether it's evangelicalism or a particular church or school or institution doesn't mean you're distancing yourself from the body of Christ or Christ himself, right? Right. So I just wanted to clarify that end. But I mean, I think there are a lot of people who are in relationships, family relationships, friendships, who realize they differ deeply with these folks on issues of politics and policy, yes, but what's at stake is really what you believe about how to treat your neighbors uh, who are American citizens and what the Bible teaches about things like immigration, um, diversity, and integration, justice. And so they're wondering, well, how do I communicate with these people? I don't think the solution is just a blanket, cut them off. Um, but I do think there there's wisdom that we can approach. There was a recent article uh, that was basically saying, you know, they did study after study and they're basically saying, never argue with people on social media because it almost never <laughs> results in anything positive, almost never results in a changed mind. And I think there's some wisdom to that. I think there's some truth. Um, you know, we started the show off talking about it, uh, an online controversy. I, I very rarely wade into those things. And and even then, I, mm-hmm. I did a full blog post. It was 2,500 words. And I cut probably 700 words out of that bad boy before I published it. You did. You did. I was like, brother, this is going to be a, a, I mean, a it book chapter. Been. We got to So, cut this. you know, that was a little different. I mean, I took time, hours out to to try to think through that and, and for the sake of those with ears to hear. And so you mentioned, you know, the posture of humility and, and repentance. And I'll, you know, the Bible, it says a bruised reed, he will not break. And, and to me, that yes. kind of defines the way I approach people to folks who are are humble and they want to listen and they want to learn and they realize there's an issue, particularly around race. I'm going to treat and approach them differently than somebody who's convinced that they have the right ideas, that everything I'm saying is wrong, and um, they're just going to sort of browbeat me with with their words into submission. I'm, I'm not... <laughs> Okay, so so let's talk about that. Let's talk about that because so so we've kind of we've kind of made these things, we kind of grouped these into one big pot, but they should be separated in the sense that, you know, as we talk about sexual assault and harassment, there's there's a standard there that the church should uphold due to its horrid history, um, making the church to hashtag completely relevant, making making the CHH sexism hashtag completely relevant, completely um, important to these conversations. And so as, as we think about those types of things, um, I, I want to separate those from, from the disagreements, from the vehement disagreements from people who we would just consider to be racist or racially bigoted or racially ignorant. Um, and I know some people would even bristle at that word racist, right? Which is a word that I, man, I can't remember if, if I've ever used it um, on the podcast in, in, in this descriptive way. But but why can't we clap back, Jamar? That's all I'm saying. Why can't we clap back? Because here's the thing. 
if people are calling us out, if people are dragging our name through the mud, why is it important that we not shoot off a little bit? Because there's something about black rage. There's something about um, a response. There's something about an emotional venting that kind of lets off the steam that could drive up our blood pressure, that could have negative effects on our heart, that could affect our mental and emotional health. So explain it to me, Jamar. Like, I get it. We've been talking kind of heady right now, but I'm trying to get <laughs> down to the, to the nitty gritty. You know, that person that, you know, they 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 call you boy. That person, I mean, even for me, oh, right? No. Recently, the yeah. guy who called me the N-word, right? So like, how does that, how do, how do I respond in a way? Because that was anxiety. I felt my blood pressure rise. I felt my anger, like everything changed physiologically for me. So for the people who are physiologically <laughs> yeah. affected by this- Come on, like, like, why can't we just get a little, Look, get a little shoot in, man? Come on, completely sympathize, right? I've been called every name in the book because of this podcast or man. the writings. I get it, right? Like, you get that 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 quiver in your stomach, and 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 it's that fight or flight reflex, and like, ooh, am I just say this? You know, I get it, and it's it's legit because people are assaulting your humanity. There, there's. And, and I want to say something also, like, because I think this is important to to respond um, and, and kind of illuminate this for some people who might not understand. When 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 people of color are called a a term of of racism, we're called a racial slur. That's actually to us. That's a threat. Like that's yeah. not just a word. It's it's a it's violent. And I think people don't, if, if we're talking about honesty here, it's, it's not just words. That's a threat. Because in any case, if, if let's just use, you know, the N-word, if, if I'm called the N-word, if I'm called that by people or a slur, the historical connection to that word is that of violence. And so it, it, it it's not just, man, somebody was mean to you. You know, people try to equate this all the time. Ah, somebody was mean to you. You should respond. You should take the high road. But if someone calls me a slur, I know that there's a historical connection to violence with that word. That word was used in the threatening of black bodies, in the, in the shredding of black backs, in the beating of black heads, in the dismembering of black bodies. So I know the connection. And so it's not just some word to me, right? Like, and so people sometimes they just think, ah, well, it's just words. No, no, no. This is very, this is a historical connection to violence, right? So I think it's important for us just to say that because, man, sometimes people can think, you know, oh, you're just some snowflakes, you're just some liberals. But in reality, there's, there's a very real understanding of the history of the words that are being used to us and the potential bodily harm that right. we can face. Right. This is not just academic. <laughs> this is not a hypothetical exercise. These words are connected to actions and violence that put us at risk, like you so eloquently stated. And so that reaction that we have, a very strong reaction to push back and to defend, that's a legitimate reaction because we know what happens when those words are bandied about and normalized and and taken as truth. Um I think what restrains us is remembering our identity in Christ, that Jesus Christ has given us an identity as children of God. Uh, his righteousness is, is now ours. Uh, there's nothing that will separate us from the love of God. 
And that makes us secure in who we are, no matter what they say about us. And so I, I, I always go back to the temptation of Christ in, in, in Matthew four, whenever the devil was trying to tempt Jesus, he assaulted his identity. He said, if you are the son of God, if you are who you say you are, if this is your identity, then do this. Command these stones to be loaves of bread. Throw yourself down uh, and and have angels rescue you. All these things. But what he was doing, what Satan was doing was attacking Christ's very identity as the son of God. But the way Christ responded was basically, look, I know who I am. I ain't got to prove it to you. And that was true throughout his entire ministry, right? Um, the Pharisees basically said, you're allied with the devil. And nothing that was the antithesis of Christ's very existence. He was the exact opposite of alliance with the devil, the exact opposite of alliance with evil. And yet um, he bore those insults because he knew he, he, who he was as the son of God. And we know who we are as children of God. And not only that, we're always on display. And so we have to be concerned about our witness. Yes, our witness to people. And that's what prompted my response Mm. online was that I saw that people who were not Christian, people who were in secular outlets and secular spaces were picking up on what this avowed Christian was saying that was so out of line with the scriptures. And was doing harm to our witness as believers. And so we were trying to be a countervailing uh, force in that conversation. And so I think as we bear these reproaches from people, we've always got to bear in mind not only our identity, but also our witness to people who are watching to see if our profession lines up with our practice. And so that's what restrains us. Hmm. You know, I think it's it's also really tough to read the scriptures and get an ethic of retaliatory mm. violence. Like it's just really difficult to read Daniel nine, let's say, and and hear about the character of the Lord, who is, you know, as as it says in that passage, merciful and forgiving, even though we've rebelled against him. Like it's just difficult to read that and just be like, yo. I have license to go and respond. Like it's difficult to, you know, read the book of Luke, Luke 17, um, or to read, you know, Luke 23, where where Jesus is even on the cross. And he's like, Father, forgive them for their they're in mm. ignorance right now. They don't know what they're doing. And it's difficult to get this retaliatory retali- retaliatory ethic of violence, like where now we have justification to respond in a way that gratifies our inner impulse to punish the people who would seek to punish us. And it reminds me, man, that the reason we don't clap back and the reason we attempt as best as possible to restrain our our inner impulses is we can't allow darkness to shape and form us. Mm, That's a good word. Like we can't allow darkness. We can't allow the negative to change our character. It should only reveal um, the integrity that exists on the inside of us. That's right. That's right. And, and I think what a lot of people don't understand is in the moment where we respond, even though it's gratifying, even though we desire to respond with vitriol in the same way that we have been shamed and dehumanized, 
um, we're actually allowing the dehumanizer to exercise power over us in the sense that we're morphing to his character. So we say in the moment that you tear me apart, I will then morph into your character. I will allow you to spiritually form me rather than being formed by my savior. And do we always think that, you know, there's going to be a time, you know, there's never going to be a time where we don't respond. Like, that's not what we're saying. I mean, just watch us. Like you'll see that's not true. (laughs) Clearly. Like number one, we, we in process. Okay. So pray for us. God ain't through with us yet. Please. But then also number two, I think there is a, a time for a bold um, assertion of what we believe in and to remind those people who may be stiff-necked and stubborn that they're, they're wilding. They're operating outside of the confines of, of Christ's gospel. But, okay. but yeah, go ahead. So I know we're running short on time, but I really want to address the, the commenter's uh, question, which was, I've really struggled since the 2016 election to love and want to be in fellowship with Christians who voted for and continue to support the president's administration. I really don't know how to reconcile Jesus's command to love everyone with fighting for justice when many American Christians stubbornly hold and propagate beliefs that are harmful to POC, people of color. So, I mean, can we just get down to the real nitty gritty, like practically what do you do with those folks? And you can't disassociate with them because their family or their close friends or, or what have you. Yeah. Let's do that. Let's do that. So, I mean, I mean, for me, it's, it's a couple of things. One, I keep it moving. So I am going to continue to speak truth as I understand it and not spend a whole, whole bunch of time with worrying about, am I persuading people who disagree? My hope is that they will change their minds, but I'm also realistic enough, having been doing this in, in writing and podcasts and, and articles for several years now, to know that most of the time you're not going to just you know have an exchange back and forth with someone, whether online or even in a single conversation, that's going to uh, change their minds. What I'm trying to do is set an example that the the principles I'm living by. And the ideas that I believe in are the right way and and have my life bear the fruit that commends the truth of what I'm saying. And so my hope is that by doing what I'm doing, continuing to speak truth to power, continuing to push back against the darkness and immorality and injustice that we see in this world, that people who look on, even when they disagree with me, aren't going to be able to deny the fruit of what I'm doing or and over the long term are going to come to see the reasonableness of my perspective. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, that's that's assuming I'm, I'm correct, right? That we're, right, right. we're very fallible beings. Um so I wouldn't overburden myself with trying to uh, somehow, you know, bear with people who disagree with me politically. Hold your beliefs and act on those beliefs, and he'll make your righteousness shine like the noonday sun, as it says in Proverbs, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, so we've got to believe that, um, as well as, you know, just online, you know how limited that is. You know how limited social media is. So I do fully believe, though, in incarnational reconciliation. That is personal relationships where 
in a respectful dialogue, you each can express your views. And quite honestly, I'm not all that successful in persuading people to think differently. But what it does is humanize a person who holds beliefs different than than you. Right. Right. And that, I think, tempers our response. But 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 because I'm very concerned about people stressing themselves because they're taking on they're taking on the role of Christ to convert people. Yeah, and come on, bro. Come on. Free us. Not bro. our role, man. Free us, so you sit down and you have that conversation, especially as a person of color. We get asked to have these conversations constantly and it's so draining. You do need to care for yourself and it's totally legit to say, "No, nah, I can't do that right now." Or I'm in a season where that's just it's just too harmful and stressful for me it's right not now. Not Christian, that's not unloving. <laughs> it's, it's not, not biblical. But even if it's a white person talking to another white person, you can have that conversation a few times. I mean, there's no set quantity, right? But it becomes clear that, look, you have made your stance abundantly clear and they know it. And a lot of times they're just trying to hear themselves talk or they're trying to uh, (laughs) win a war of attrition and just wear you down. And that's not fruitful or helpful either. State your case and keep it moving. That's what I got. Yeah, that's helpful, man. Um, I also think we, you know, as we kind of wrap up, I also think that there's just this mentality that we have of bearing with people who are actively like invested in the pain of others, you mm. know, who are actively invested, who are who are beneficiaries of other people's pain. And I think that's that's problematic because we're we're not paying attention to the power that they exert in their influence. So there are some people who are willfully, you know, they're not, I'll just say this, man. There are some people who vote and then there are some people who are, who tow a party line and who are members of a particular party that is actively involved in spreading the, the misinformation and mm. actively involved in spreading the lies and actively involved in, in, uh, assuaging the consciences of those who dehumanize in power above them. That's different. You know, Man, we talk about, we talk about, we pray for them for sure. But at the same time, we, we, we won't allow ourselves as one person has said to become chaplains uh, of those in power. Okay. <laughs> we won't allow, won't allow ourselves to become uh, chaplains to those who seek to, to use their power to dehumanize God's children. Like that's what we won't do. So I think we should put that in some context that some people exert a power level. And I just want to encourage you. That's not what we're talking about. Like we're talking about the people who you are in close proximity with, who are not involved in power, who are not benefiting from this, who are not involved in the misinformation, who are not exerting their influence in a way that is anti-gospel, you know? So I think that's important to, to draw out because there's different levels to this, man. But there's so many different ways we could take this conversation, man. And it just proves that Josh, he brought up a great a, a great topic. And this is what you can do when you subscribe and, and become a patron to Pass the Mic. You can actually suggest topics that become episodes. And this is crazy, Jamar, because this has actually helped me to process some things that I was thinking by cutting some people off and clapping back. So... I'm gonna keep it chill for right for now, Jamar. I'm not gonna clap back. But if you <laughs> see me, you know, just to just tweet me and say no clapbacks, bro. Or text me. <laughs> no clapbacks in 2018. We're not wasting Maybe. our time. Stay, I love that. State your case, keep it moving. State your case, keep it moving. I think that's the right note to end on, bro. 
Sounds good, man. We're going to keep on trying. What we're not finna do in 2018 is let all these nah. uh, haters stress us out. See, I'm so. not going to take it to that level because those things are like Ten Commandments. So those are like, <laughs> not, I can't tell you I'm not going to not do it. Because okay? <laughs> it might. But anyway, we're going to try, man. May the Lord help us. This episode was brought to you in part by United We Pray. United We Pray is a podcast devoted to praying and thinking about racial strife, especially between Christians. Come join us in praying for the unity of God's people.